My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. They'll ask anybody in this business, and they'll tell you this week is all important. And for once, I agree with the consensus. Not only do we get earnings from roughly a quarter of the S&P 500, including most of the big names, but we also have the big bad Fed meeting on Wednesday, the, the last one until September. And it's hard to buy or sell anything ahead of a rate hike. That explains why today's uh, city of action, where the Dow closed up 91 points, S&P advanced 0.13%, NASDAQ declined 0.43%, but it was much worse at one point. So why is everyone waiting for the Fed? And what does that have to do with your portfolio? They're waiting because it's, it's too binary. If Jerome Powell says we're getting a 75 basis point rate hike, and then we'll see what happens, which is what I really want, because we're already seeing signs that inflation's peaking. I'll get to that in a second. Then you might get a rip-snorting rally. On the other hand, if he says we're doing the triple rate hike and then we're willing to keep tightening no matter what, including a possible intermediate hike if the CPI stays hot, then we are definitely going lower. Sell, 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 sell. Now, there will always be people who carpet how the Fed started tightening too late. I heard a guy today. Come on, let me give you some news. The Fed tightened too late. Well, I mean, yeah, shocker. Even he says he started too late. I think Powell is looking better and better. Housing's rolling over. Steel and aluminum have come down big. We got a steel company going later today. Unprecedented retail glut. More on that in a moment. These are how you beat inflation. The only thing that's stubbornly high is consumer spending, which may be a tough nut to crack, given that American Express just on Friday describes a consumer that's a voracious spender and an unstoppable travel. If Powell needs to see everyone do badly before he takes his foot off the brakes, then an emergency meeting is on the table, and this will continue to be a bad summer. If he's happy with all the commodities that have come down huge off their highs, then the market could be poised for a tremendous run. Binary, 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 as long as the earnings aren't too bad. And this may be the big problem, because as of this very evening, we found uh, something that was very bad. The largest retailer in this country blew up to <laughs> Yeah, Walmart pre-announced horrendous numbers because it has way too much inventory. I keep telling you, there's an inventory glut coming in this country. It's here. As I said this morning, it could be a glut-related recession where there's too much of everything. So what do we do? We get price cuts. (laughs) Curiously, when the largest retailer in America cuts numbers, that tells you that maybe the Fed's winning its war against inflation. We don't know who else has too much inventory, and they're going to shoot Target. They'll shoot all oh, the shoot every retailer. That's what they do. But the fact that there are gluts is actually good news for the Fed and eventually good news for the consumer, as price cuts from Walmart could actually counteract some of the pernicious gasoline and food inflation that they actually mentioned is the reason why their sales are so bad. But can I also say, and the Child Trust owns it, they've become not great operators. I know that's a harsh judgment, but I'm the king of harsh judgments, which brings me to our game plan. Yes, the game plan for the week, the biggest week of earnings season, making it one of the four most important weeks of the year, because the other three also have the same companies that report. It all starts tomorrow morning with General Motors. 
That's a stock that's among the cheapest in the S&P. Well, I worry GM will say that it's been hurt by China's lockdowns. They sell a lot. of They're huge in China and high raw costs. The company softened the blow from any shortfall by pre-announcing its results at the beginning of the month. But I think this is very much a 2023 stock with lots of solid electric vehicles coming their way. I like cheap stocks. Others like expensive stocks. Not me. You also have GE reporting. I think their alternative energy business is but I would say awful, but I am a statesman. And the medical device division has been held back by supply chain problems. Hard to be a bull in GE yet. Then there's McDonald's, which is beloved by analysts because it almost never misses. Eh, you know, I better be loved again because it's just so easy. It's easy for them. I'm a Wendy's guy myself. Doesn't matter. The standout tomorrow may be Coca-Cola. Now, I think it's got some currency risk, but that's offset by some new alcoholic uh, products that are big enough eventually to move the needle. I've had the Jack and Coke. I've had the I've had, hey, I've had the Jack and Diet Coke, and I've had the Jack and Zero. And I can tell you that all of them are better than when I tried to mix Jack and Coke. Coca-Cola is a great contrast to, say, Walmart, because it's actually in control of its destiny. Oh, by the way, it's also better run. United Parcel could give us a terrific view of logistics. I'm surprised the stock now trades like an ailing mall retailer. It deserves better. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, e-commerce is alive and well. It really is. After the close, we hear from Microsoft and from Alphabet. I think both could be standouts. Microsoft trades off of Azure, the cloud business, and I suspect it's doing very well. Mr. Softy already shrewdly pre-announced a hit from the strong dollar. That's great news. I wouldn't be surprised if they say something negative about the future of the PC business or Europe. But the stock's now down 90 points from its high. If it gets hit again, wow. You know what? I feel compelled to buy some for the travel trust. Want you to join the investing club if you want text messaging alerts to, uh, to important calls. And it may be that one. Alphabet gives its clients the best return on ads, which are well integrated into their ecosystem and don't rely on much third-party data, which is the, one, the no-no. That's stuff that Apple's cracking down on. Tough time for advertising. But in general, well, let's say Alphabet stock, again, falling from 152 to 107. I think it's a buy because it's fallen so much. But it has been a not-so-hot stock for ages. We also got Chipotle, which uh, way too many people are dumping on, like they never, like they've never been there. This is a reliable restaurant chain. It's gotten too cheap, but let's see what McDonald's says in the morning about fast food before making a move. Let's see. Wednesday, what happens? Well, Boeing, okay, so they've got big orders, right? But can they meet them? Machinist strike possible? No federal go-eds for the Dreamliner? <sighs> Suboptimal. After the close, Meta Platforms reports, and I expect the beat and forecast cut from the artist formerly known as Facebook. Once the expectations get low enough, though, for the metaverse, then the stock becomes a solid buy. Then there's Ford. You know what? I bet they, they talk about how solidly sold out they are, uh, many of their new models, including the electrics. So the contrast might be GM versus Ford. This is a $13, well, 12 and change stock. People love that. 3% yield, no yield. Today, we got a downgrade of Lamb Research, the semiconductor equipment maker that also reports on Wednesday night. But we also expect the CHIPS Act to pass this week. Biden's trying to get that happen. That would be so positive for Lamb that if you sold it off that downgrade today, you might want to buy it back at, of course, a, um, well, you'll end up buying it back at a higher price. One, a one to kill on a surface now. We had CEO Bill McDermott on last month, and he talked about tougher times in Europe. His stock got hit hard in response. Now we'll find out if that was an overreaction. I don't want to bury the lead, but once again, 2 p.m. Wednesday, Fed announcement. Then for the next hour, we have Fed instant analysis and then one of the worst orchestrated press conferences every time. I hate it. Jay Powell will either be kind, saying one more big rate hike and wait, or mean, saying multiple additional hikes are coming. 
It's a difference between a bull market and a bear market, so we have to care. Hey, let's see. Let's hope Jay sees Walmart. Jay Z, no, Jay Pal sees Walmart as the start of a glut and not the start of another round of inflation, which is what the Walmart release made it sound like. But then again, remember, Walmart may not know what it's doing right now. Memo to many companies out there, will you please stop reporting this week, particularly on Thursday? I mean, I, I had to cut this down to just these two companies. There's a stack of companies that are, you know, it's like every one of those European airports. Now, we know, we hear from Apple and Amazon, both are complicated. Apple has huge business in China, which is being hurt by COVID, and Europe, which is being hurt by Russian Russia's insane expansionism. At the same time, Apple's viewed as an island of safety because its products are beloved. And it's got that annuity stream service business. I say, shocker, own it, don't trade it. Hey, by the way, I also want to thank Katie Huberty, who has been just promoted to director of research at Morgan Stanley for all her incredible work, especially on Apple. She deserves it. Amazon has real issues, but they're known issues. They overbuilt for COVID, and now they're paying for it. We're going to discuss that with Prologist later. The question is, does everyone know that they overbuilt? Because if they know, then, then maybe people focus on the positives, like Amazon ads and Amazon Web Services, which are doing incredibly well. I think the stocks come down, and after the Walmart news, we'll open very low tomorrow, and that could be a very interesting thing to do. We own it for the trust forever. A Walmart cascade that brings down Amazon's opportunity, okay? I like it. Now, finally Friday, what do we got? Two huge companies report, and they're an unlikely pair, Chevron and Procter & Gamble, both invest in club names. The bloom vanished from the rose and the oils before their stocks had a chance to truly roar, and they've already given back much of their gains since last earnings season. While I think healthcare and oil and gas are the two best places this week, and I truly believe that Chevron can deliver, the analysts are getting increasingly skeptical. So we sold some for the Chapel Trust today because after today's oil rally, we have too much crude. But I can tell you that Chevron and its doppelganger, Exxon, which reports the same day, are going to have good numbers, I think, for many years to come because of short supply of oil and gas. Now, you want skeptics? The analysts are incredibly skeptical of Kramer fave Procter because P&G is viewed as the preeminent weak dollar play in a world where the dollar is insanely strong. If Procter comes in, I treat that as a buying opportunity after it imports though, only because the strong dollar is difficult for Procter, but the strong dollar can peak, and I think is, versus the euro, the bottom line of a complicated game plan. Altogether, it's a brutal week with far too many earnings reports. Disperse ye companies before you guys give me a heart attack. Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, Booyah, Jim. How you doing? Booyah, right back at you. What's going on? All right. So this is my first time calling. I'm calling so much. My wife's starting to think I like you more than her, bro. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, today we're calling about GPS. Oh, Really? Uh, okay. Now, because I like you, you sound like a Tyler sounds like a very nice person. So I cannot be as uh, vociferous as I'd like about not buying Gap, particularly tomorrow when Walmart's going to crush everything. So I'm sorry. I'd like to buy the good, not the bad. Jim in Florida. Jim. Jimmy Chill. This is Jim from Lechato in Naples, Florida. My question Excellent. is on KSS uh, with the franchise group bid now off the table at $60 which thank you for the good advice and not buying things on dial uh, bids. Uh, with yes. a, a dividend north of 6% and a PE of low, uh, below 5, is this good buy entry point? Well, I think tomorrow it's going to open. If it opens down below 24 tomorrow off the Walmart news, then, yes, I could see buying a little. It wouldn't just it wouldn't bum me out too much. I think you might be OK, but 24 bus. In other words, 24 
fill or kill. And that's it. All right, it's a brutal week with far too many earnings reports. Witness, right? And yet this is the most important one. Don't forget, Walmart totally kiboshed everybody's night and made me feel miserable. On May 9th, Prologis has fallen in recent weeks because of concerns surrounding Amazon overbuilding its logistics infrastructure. So I'm going straight to the source of the warehouse logistics read to see if we can put these worries to rest. And after falling about 50% from its highs, is it time to take a second look at Steelmaker Cleveland Cliffs? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then it's been one week at our new home at the New York Stock Exchange. So I'm sitting down with the institution's president to get her take on everything from market volatility to new listings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Two and a half weeks ago, I laid it on the line. I told you it was time to buy Prologis, the logistics real estate investment trust that had seen its stock get hammered ever since April when Amazon revealed that it had overbuilt its logistics infrastructure and might try to get out of some leases. I said that Prologis got hit way too hard on that story. They have the best spaces, which means they're the least likely to see any damage here, and Amazon makes up less than 5% of their business. Sure enough, when Prologis reported last week, they shot the lights out. Not only did they have a nearly 98% average occupancy rate, they also raised their full-year funds from operations forecast, which is the real estate investment trust equivalent of earnings. More importantly, management addressed the Amazon issue directly. Turns out it's a non-issue. There were only ever two properties up for renegotiation, and that number is now zero. While the stock has rebounded roughly 5% since then, it's still down nearly 50 bucks from its April highs. It could be a steal. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Hamid Mogadan. He is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Prologis to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Mogadan, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well, and I hope same. All right. Now, there is a great deal of misinformation about your company, and I think you cured it on the conference call, but people need to know right from you on air This is not an Amazon story. This is not a story necessarily about retail other than in a positive way when it comes to Europe. It's basically a story about leases and how you're full. And that if there's someone opens up a new place, you can even charge more because we do not have enough warehouse space in this country. Correct? That is all correct, Jim. Uh, Part of the problem is because... um, COVID really distorted a lot of the numbers, and we sort of came off of a fairly predictable business growth prior to COVID, and COVID just supercharged it. And we're coming off of that level of activity a bit as the economy opens up and people spend more of their money on experiences and, of course, on gas and food, uh, not that they want to. So the goods economy is taking a little bit of a backseat to um, the experience economy. And actually, on the retail side, people are doing less e-commerce and going out to the malls more, which you would expect because they've been locked out for, for a couple of years from doing that. But if you look at the normalized trends prior and after COVID, e-commerce is at a much higher level of penetration 
and that drives significantly more logistics demand. So that's one factor. The other factor is that COVID exposed um, the Achilles heel of the supply chain. Namely, these things that are designed for perfection sometimes fall apart because of a pandemic, because of a fire, because of an earthquake or whatever. So long-term, companies know that they have to carry more inventory to be able to meet their customers' needs. So uh, without getting too deep into the numbers, uh, just to give you a sense, the inventory to sales ratio was about 1.2 okay. before COVID. It dropped to 107 in the middle of COVID. Today is 116, and we think it's going to 135. So uh, because of this resilience right. uh, buildup. So we're only a third of the way through the demand, uh, the surge in demand. So I don't know why everybody's so OK, but say tomorrow and people in Walmart uh, dropped a bomb tonight and said that they basically have too much inventory. Are we going to just replay what happened with Amazon? And if we do, what do you do with Prologis stock if it goes down a great deal off of Walmart? Yeah, Jim, I don't I don't know anything about what, why the stock goes up or down. All I know about is earnings growth and leasing and activity. And I can tell you the most important single number about our company is that by the end of this quarter, our leases will be 60 percent below market today. So any space that opens up gets leased at a significantly higher level um, than than the level of the leases today. And that will drive earnings growth in a very powerful way uh, over the next, uh, as far as I can see, put it this way. Okay. So I, I can't control the headlines, but I can uh, I can sort of control our business. Well, and I really feel very good about it. I felt that there was also some misinformation. People felt that maybe because of uh, the war in Ukraine, Europe would be bad. Again, a false read of what's occurring. Yeah, the European markets uh, are even tighter than the U.S. markets, if you can believe that. There is one spot that we're seeing a little bit of relative softness, and that's the U.K. Uh, in the last two to three months. But the continent has come back, and it's pretty strong. And Central and Eastern Europe, which is most affected uh, by Ukraine, we're not in Ukraine. The closest we are is, war, uh, is in Poland. And the market in Poland has actually really taken off because of all these people that need to be supplied as they come into the country. It's unfortunate, but it's actually surged uh, the business and demand. Okay, so now we want this Duke deal to close because it's ideal for you. Uh, There seem to be many, many different players, so I doubt that antitrust would be concerned about it. How are we feeling about end of year? Maybe we get this, this closure? No, I think, um, you know, if everything goes well, we should be able to close this by the end of the third quarter, uh, certainly. So that's our expectation. And um, and with respect to that antitrust point, uh, point, the two of us together control a very, very small segment of the market. The vast majority of logistic facilities is owned by either companies or uh, individual investors. So we're we're really a tiny, maybe in the teens, share together. So I'm not too worried about that. Okay, I just want to make one last point again. When it comes to occupancy, it's frankly at an extraordinary, insanely high rate. And those who are worried about any one particular company in you are probably gravely mistaken when they analyze the stock of Prologis. That's right. And Jim, I would tell you, anybody who ever wants to give us any any, uh, space back, 
1-800-PRO-LIGIS because we'd love to have it back and release it. 1-800-PRO-LIGIS, I like that. That's what we're going to leave it at. That's that's Hamid Mogadam. He's the co-founder, chairman, CEO of ProLogis. We recommended the stock hard a couple weeks ago. Reiterating it right now. Man, money's back into the break. Thank you. Coming up, does this company's future rest on the fate of the EV market? Steal yourself for a sit-down with Cleveland Cliffs next. It's become a nightmare for the cyclical smokestack stocks, which is exactly what you expect when the Federal Reserve is on the warpath. Take Cleveland Cliffs, the vertically integrated steelmaker. After surging at $34 in early April, the stock has been cut in half, falling to 16 and change today. Right now, it's one of the cheapest stocks in the market, trading at just over three times earnings. But that's because Wall Street has no faith in the earnings estimates. On Friday morning, Cleveland Cliffs reported a mixed quarter. Revenue beat coupled with a basically in-line earnings number. Not so odd forecast, but there are reasons for that. Stock plunged 9% on Friday, but it still finished the week in the black for the first time since May. And today it rebounded a solid 6%. Now, we might be approaching the point where Cleveland Cliffs has just gotten too cheap. If the Fed says they'll wait and see on more rate hikes after they tighten on Wednesday, then I think this will be a great stock to own. But if they say we're looking at a series of rate hikes even during the summer of August, you know, that kind of thing, it might be tougher. So let's take a closer look with Lorenzo Gonsalves. He's the chairman and CEO of Cleveland Cliffs, friend of the show. To learn more about the quarter and what comes next, Mr. Gonzalez, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's always a pleasure being here with you. Well, I have to tell you, I think what people, when they make these judgments, can own a steelmaker going into whatever we have. They don't seem to understand the adversity that you have had multiple times since you started here, including markets that were far worse than this. I think if you give people a little background of what you've already accomplished, which is near miracle, they'll understand why it's a mistake to sell your stock. Yeah, you put our numbers in any company in another sector, and uh, everybody would uh, give a lot of uh, credit and uh, would appreciate a lot more. Uh, We closed 2019 with $2 billion in revenues. And uh, last year, 2022, 20.4. 20.4. That's a 10 times, not 10%, 10 times. Six months this year, we're already on, the, on track for 24. That's another 20%. So that's growth. So it's not old, old, old economy. This is growth, real, consistent growth. So what do we do here? I mean, three times earnings, got huge free cash flow. It, I think paying down debt is very smart. But what would happen if you did? I know you discussed the dividend issue. Uh, buyback issue, but it seems so far that it isn't working what you're doing uh, in, in terms of trying to convince the analysts and the institutions of what a great value this is. Is it just worth riding it out and keep paying back the debt and not worrying about the common stock price? Well, I worry about the stock price a lot. Okay. I just can't manage the company for the stock price. Right. The stock price, I don't fight the tape. Really good point. I don't fight the tape. I take advantage of what the market gives to me. Uh, keep in mind, if the stock market would give credit to the predecessor companies, I would not be able to buy uh, as much as I did, right. more than $80 billion of uh, worth of assets. That's a very good less point. Than, less than $7 billion. You're taking advantage of it in another yeah. way. Instead of necessarily, you're buying stocks that are cheaper even than your own stock. And that. And then making the companies better. Now, one of the things you're making the companies better is that people don't seem to realize the auto market has been depressed for a while. If anything, other than financing issues, it can come back. And even if it's just EVs, that's also your sweet spot. It's not EVs. It's it's a reality that we need to acknowledge. Even if you don't believe it, it's coming. So 
We right. are not just the largest supplier of uh, steel for the automotive industry. I'm the largest supplier of steel for each one of the individual car manufacturers. Think a name, I'm the biggest supplier. And these folks are past recession because they, they created for themselves a self-inflicted wound that now is healing. Right. So we are going right. recession or recession. We are going up with the automotive and industry. I think it's very interesting. You correctly, I think, point out that construction's had its day. Construction's slowing down. Yes. Autos have not yet had their day because of semiconductor problems that were none of their doing. They're going to have their day, and the pent-up consumer's going to buy cars, and you're the winner. It, it's coming. Talk to Mary Barra. Talk to Jim Farley. Exactly. I talked yeah, to both of them yeah. in the last 10 days. I do, too. They, they are, they're going totally Do you know why I, I talk to them? Because they're my biggest, my biggest, uh, I am their biggest supplier. Right. And Stellantis and Toyota and Honda. And you keep naming. Right. All these guys, they, they depend on Cleveland Cliffs. So we will continue to work together. Okay. Now, I need you to help me. We have a lot of younger viewers and we have a lot of individual investors. When we talk about giant-sized cash flow, what analogy can we use for them to realize how liquid your company really is? Let's use the numbers. Okay. Last quarter, we made $1.1 billion in EBITDA, $6 billion in revenues, $1.1 billion in EBITDA, $700 million in free cash flow. That's a lot of uh, cash flow out of the, the earnings of the company. So that's what we do. We are a money-making machine, and we will continue to put the money to work on behalf of the shareholders and, and bondholders. Okay, so um, in uh, 1988, I was long Bethlehem Steel, and it was very interesting. They made a fortune. They made $679 million. In 1992, they lost $43 million. But nothing really happened other than a brief, shallow recession. People fear that that's you. But nope. you're very different from Bethlehem Completely Steel. Completely different. Because at the time, the industry in the United States was so fragmented. Right. With each one of, that's actually a great point, Jim. Each one of these steel companies at the time were trying to do exactly the same thing as the next door company. Absolutely. Now we have Nucor, a company that you know well. Right, and sure. a great company, fantastic company. They are in the construction and a little bit in, in, in automotive. And you have Cleveland Cliffs, a lot in automotive, a little bit in construction. So we don't have a lot of... You are so right. Bethlehem Steel was going head-to-head with AK, and going head-to-head with Sharon, head-to-head with, with, with Letter X, with everybody. That, look, I don't even need to go too far away. Uh, AK was going against ArcelorMittal, you say about both. Right. So uh, tariffs, we have to worry. Is the United States protecting your company enough? I don't think they're protecting my company. Okay. I think the United States is protecting the American worker. Okay. Because what these folks outside of the United States do, they dump steel here. And then when they dump, they are basically exporting their employment and creating unemployment here. So we are beyond that. We don't need protection. We are a very strong company. Okay, which brings me to the last thing I want to mention. I need to know, big labor negotiations coming up. To me, it seems unlike those old days of the 80s where, the, where labor hated Bethlehem Steel. They hated those companies. It seems like you have some of Packham and Tyrus. You've got something going on that, is, that makes it look like that the unions and you agree that there could be something good here. We, we, don't, we, not, we do not only agree. We are pulling in the same direction. We understand that the union and the company together, they are a lot stronger than two. It's not one plus one, two. It's one plus one, five. So we work together for the same objectives. We treat workers as a very important part of the picture, not just as a speech. We do that every day. 
And that's what investors need to start to realize. And that's the differentiation. And thanks for the opportunity for being here. Absolutely. And continue to educate investors about Cleveland. Well, you, you, tell, you tell it straight. You always have. You've had to deal. Sometimes these analysts, they run, but they can't hide. Yep. But yeah, nobody can. No. Because you can't deny numbers. You can't deny reality. No, you can't. That's Lorenzo Gonzalez, chairman and CEO of Cleveland Cliffs, CLF. If you can see through tougher times, this thing was in the 30s not that long ago. It can go back. Man, buddy's back after the break. Welcome to Kramerica, coming to you from my new home base at the New York Stock Exchange. It's dazzling. I love it. Jimmy, congratulations on your move to the NYSE. New set, same mission. We've got a lot of stuff going on this week. What I'm so bullish on, and this is why I love capitalism in America, we have such unbelievable entrepreneurs. I want to congratulate you on the movement of your show to the Stock Exchange, which is super exciting. Where else but in America? Under a capitalistic system, could I be asked to be with one of the most noteworthy journalists in the country? Jim, pleasure to be here with you, and what a wonderful set. Now, I may suggest that you stay with forever. Last week, we moved down here, as you know, to our new set at the New York Stock Exchange. Well, we still haven't had a chance to check in with our host from the MYSC, which is a subsidiary of Intercontinental Exchange. Late last year, MYSC Group named a new president, Lynn Martin, previously the head of their fixed income and data services business. This is a tough time to be in the exchange space, but Martin's got a technology perspective, which is what's really needed. And she's on a mission to continue bringing the NYSE into the modern era while keeping the trading floor alive and well. So let's check in with Lynn Martin. She's the president of the NYSE, as many people call it, but not me, group, and in essence, our new landlord to see how things are going at the most important stock exchange in the world. Ms. Martin, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks Thank so much you. for having me, Jim. I want to say point blank. Uh, my dad and I rang the bell. Uh, highlight of both his life and my life. The idea that right down from there to here that we can do this show, I just can't thank you enough. It is extraordinary. It is I told my wife this morning, I said, you know, I can't wait to get to work because I'm going to be at the New York Stock Exchange. It is that big a deal. So thank you for everything you're doing. Well, we are absolutely thrilled to have you here. And I got to tell you, every time I leave my house in the morning, I say to my husband, I'm so excited to go to work because I work at the New York Stock Exchange. And Jim, it's been a fabulous first week thank you. of having you here. Uh, but as a memento of you joining us, in our home, I want to present you with something that is near and dear to our hearts at NYSE. So, a little bit about this statue that I'm going to present you with. It was originally debuted in 1900, and NYSE acquired the original statue in 1924, our luncheon club back on 7 at the time. It has been recreated and given to a very select number of people. That includes world leaders such as Presidents Reagan and Clinton. It includes CEOs of some of our most iconic listed companies to celebrate their listing. It has been presented to thought leaders. And it is my honor on behalf of the New York Stock Exchange to present it to you, Jim. Oh, wow. So I want to present it to you. Welcome, welcome home. I don't know if you want to read the inscription for your viewers. If not, I'm happy to. 
Go ahead. You read it. All right. Set my eyes so away. I'm yeah. going to read the inscription. Okay. It is very aptly inscribed. Presented to James J. Kramer, host of Mad Money on CNBC, 2005 till eternity. A best-selling author and beloved institution of Wall Street. A guide and guru to millions on growing their wealth and leaving a legacy. Honoring the 2022 debut of Mad Money at Jim's home away from home, although I'm going to call it your home, yep. New York Stock well, Exchange. I spent more time here than I have at my actual real homes on this block. And uh, I can't thank you and the great people at the exchange and ICE all together. You, I cannot tell you, I don't know how many people were involved in making this happen, but I cannot express enough gratitude for how incredible your people are to make all this happen and to give me this. Well, likewise to you and your people, too. It's like everything else we do at NYSE. It's about a partnership. It's about teamwork, coming up with an idea, executing flawlessly to bring about an amazing result. Now, when do you think, we talk about the core business here, uh, I like new listings, you like new listings. Is the, is the market going, is, is it on pause or it's done? We need new companies. Oh, it's on pause. It's on pause. The reason it's on pause is because of all the volatility that you see in the market. But, you know, the companies that I talk to, those companies who are private, the public market currency has never been more alive and well. They right. want to go out. They want to reach new shareholders. They want to use that public market currency to grow their business, invest in R&D, acquire new businesses, take their businesses in directions that they can't even fathom right now. But they're not going to do it in a period when there's tremendous volatility in the market. So it makes a lot of sense. And what are some other ways to make the floor thrive? I think that it is the most vibrant part of capitalism. It's the symbol of capitalism. We love capitalism. Mm. We need to spread the gospel. Can we do it here? I think we can. I think actually the way to make the floor alive is through technology. I think the most tech forward companies employ a human overlay on top of really good technology. There's so much data in this world. Unsurprising coming from me, I would say no, that. No, you're a data, data geek, <laughs> and that's, data what we, but that's what we need. But, we need but, because but the it, only way that you use data well is if you have, and correctly, is if you have that human overlay. You have that human who can make sense of the noise in the market, pull mm-hmm. out the noise, and institute human judgment. So I do think the most tech-forward companies make use of Fantastic data, fantastic technology, but have incredibly smart humans. Uh, you're so that. right. I mean, look, if you're out west. What they would tell you is, look, as long as uh, there's a human to interpret uh, or explain, then you're OK. If it's just in a vacuum, it fails. Absolutely. You got to look at the big picture and you got to look at signals from all over the markets. The data tells you something, but only the humans have the intelligence well, to interpret. One of the I want to, in return for this and for your graciousness, will you let me be involved with the New York Stock Exchange Institute, which champions capital markets and listing companies? Absolutely. I thought it was very important to create that because of all the conversations that oh, we've been having with our NYSE community, the largest public companies, the most thoughtful CEOs that are really coming to us with a challenge, which is we are happy to be public companies, but we need someone to be a very strong voice, a very strong platform to talk about the challenges in the market. I'm thrilled to to be involved in that, to be here. I thank you for this, and I want to help. That's Lynn Martin, the president of the NYSE, and I got to tell you, hey, Pop, not bad, huh? Man, Mike's back after the break. 
Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy cover the light round, Christmas. Let's start with Let's start with Cameron in North Carolina. Cameron. Hey Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Cameron. How about you? I'm doing great. I just wanted to ask you about prudential finance and how you think their stock price could hold up. Look, I think Prudential's got a big yield, but that's not preventing stocks from going down. And the best insurer is Chubb, and that stock keeps going down. So as far as I'm concerned, we got to stay away from the insurers. Although I like Chubb at a certain level. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for your help, Jimmy. Absolutely. It's a a dividend buy, and I like to buy on a bounce. It pulled back after they raised their dividend, and now it's starting to climb again. ABR, Arborility Trust. You know, that is a company I, I don't I tend to be against these companies and it's done well for me to be against it. Those mezzanine loan, especially real real estate finance is just a dicey business. I'm saying no. let's go to O'Connor in Pennsylvania. O'Connor. Yes. O'Connor, go ahead. Oh, Hello. Uh, I'm O'Connor? on the phone. Yeah, go ahead. It's Jim. I'm on the phone. We're both on the phone. Well, well, I have my Should I give you my question now? Yeah, sure. I'd name a stock even better. Well, it, my, my question concerns BHP. Uh, oh, BHP. Okay. Okay. Listen, we do not buy B, We do not buy a mineral and mining company going into a recession that's mandated by the Fed. We have to say no. I know it looks cheap, but we're not going there. Now I'm going to Ali in California. Ali. Hey, Jim. First time caller here, and congrats on my new set. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. you. My question to you is on Carnival Cruise. Uh, They just announced a $1 billion stock offering last week, and their stock has dropped over 10% since then. Buy, sell, or hold, Jim? No, I'm not going to touch a stock that does a big second or big offering at nine when the stock was at double that just a few months ago. So, no, they should have done it when the stock was higher. I say no to Carnival. How about uh, Nashat in Virginia? Nashat. Yes, I'm here. How are you, Jim? I love you, my dear. Uh, oh, thank you. Hope you remember the club. That would make me happy. What's going on? I mean, I bought a thousand share uh, on Uphold, like UPSD. They were a hundred dollar oh. back in the days, and now they dropped to twenty four. Yeah. I mean, if you well, are me, what you would do? Hold. That's a painful one. Or- no, no. I think you have to sell it. Uh, I hate to be as negative as I am, but I am very negative. I don't like their business model. I don't like what that quarter was like. I don't like the pre-announcement. I mean, I sound like a Dr. Seuss character here. I do not like it. I am. I am sell-up start. And let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Bob. Hey, Jim. Uh, my stock, based in the UK, is small, but the vertical move had me take profits. Should I go back to... The, ver- uh, the electrical, vertical aerospace. No, no, that company's losing money. We don't get it. Sell, 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 s
I'm good. I'm sending you a big Austin booyah. I'll take that. I was up in Nantucket this weekend, very close by. What's up? Yes. I'd like to get your opinion on Iron Mountain. Good, consistent business, real estate investment trust with a 5% yield. I say bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, grilling outside is good summer fun. But are these coal-fired stocks cooked? Find out next. Jim, I love you, man. I've been watching you from day one. Thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. I'm learning so much watching your show. Watch your program every day. I love it. Always wanted to say booyah on your show. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. I love your show. I'm a long-time fan of your show, and we think it's the most entertaining program on TV. way to describe all the companies that sold you goods to reamp your home during the worst phases of the pandemic. So many of these stay-at-home stocks have now bitten the dust. Today's casualty? <gasps> Weber. I was there the day that Weber, the grill company, came public, and at the time it seemed like such a good idea. You have this beloved brand that was getting a special kick from COVID. Grilling felt like a constant in our lives last year. Weber's stock gave you a nice pop for the first couple of days but only after the size of the deal is reduced by two-thirds to get it out the door. Now, we learned today that CEO Chris Scherzinger is departing from his role, that's in quotes, both as CEO and board member, and he's doing so immediately. At the same time, Weber announced a huge shortfall, withdrew guidance, and canceled its four-cent-per-share dividend. Just plain nasty. But it's hardly low. Traeger, the other grill company that came public last year to much fanfare, has met the same fate, even though it's also has a consumable business selling wood pellets for its grills, integral to the product's smoking capabilities. Hasn't stopped the stock from falling to three bucks, including a nearly 8% decline today off of Weber pit action. Now, people weren't totally unprepared for Weber's downfall. It's been in free fall for ages, just like Traeger. But the truth is, these were both good companies but lousy investments. The owners and sponsors took advantage of the one-time boost that COVID gave to grilling and used it to make some money by coming public. I can't blame them. The numbers were extraordinary, but extraordinary doesn't last in this business because you only need one grill, and these things can last forever. It's not like you need a new Weber every year. You buy a Weber because it lasts forever. In that sense, these companies were victims of their own success. It's a real quandary, isn't it? A stock looks so good, and maybe it has the staying power to ride through the moment, but most don't. Zoom didn't. It's been hammered. Peloton didn't. It's been crushed. DocuSign didn't. It's been spin. Sell, 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 sell. Yeah, Netflix didn't either. It's been eviscerated. But it, it, it's this second wave, the stocks that were further away from the blast zone, that's been particularly brutal of late. Video game companies, Domino's Pizza, even retailers as good as Williamson or RH, formerly known as Restoration Harbor, were too elevated for Wall Street's taste. Same goes for anything connected to personal computers. As is always the case, you've got to ask who's next. When Amazon reports Thursday, are people sufficiently attuned to the fact that it might have been a COVID stock? Of course, unlike Traeger and Weber, Amazon's got a lot else going for it. Hey, Walmart answered the question pretty emphatically this evening with a horrendous pre-announcement that will cause a shudder among all companies that make goods that sell into Walmart. Think grills. It's a grill glut. 
So what happens to Weber and Traeger? At this point, if you own them, you have to hope that a larger company comes along and takes them over to create an outdoor powerhouse. Maybe newer brands. Yeti. But hope is not a strategy. Maybe you can wait for a bounce to sell them into strength, but they're done. Sure, Weber and Traeger can eventually make a comeback after they fire a lot of people and rationalize production. But I think what you're seeing now is what they were really worth to begin with. Traeger is currently valued at $387 million with a similar amount of debt. Weber's at roughly $1.9 billion with $1.2 billion in debt. Although, given those balance sheets, I could argue that both stocks are actually still too high. Those debt loads will most likely prevent them from being acquired. In the end, Weber and Traeger are great brands. But a brand with a weak year-over-year sales is not something you want to own. You've got my blessing to buy the grills. Just stay away from their stocks. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.